things that I failed to uh, announce for, during our announcement time, um, just to make you aware, we will not have our children's and our youth uh, ministries meeting this week on Wednesday night. So no Wednesday night activities um, this week. We want to turn your attention to the scriptures. Going to be looking at a lot of scripture this morning, a lot of references. But we want to begin by looking at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, reading about the first six verses or so. If you want to follow along, I'm reading from the NIV. Subtitle before the scripture begins on denying the incarnation. 1 John chapter 4. Beginning with verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but rather test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is, in fact, from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We have entered into the season of Lent. It's a six-week period, a 40-day period of giving some things up, perhaps, in order to prepare for the resurrection. In order to prepare to, to enter into those events, as we do every year, to enter into those events of, of that holy week of a Monday Thursday, of a, of a Good Friday, the crucifixion, of the curtain being torn, of darkness, and then resurrection on Resurrection Sunday and Easter morning. And last week as we began this time and began these, these 40 days, we looked at Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. The very first thing as Jesus is baptized and come out, comes out of the baptismal waters, is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. That's how he began. And so we... We said yet last week, and we want to continue this weekend, looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. That's where we're going these next weeks. 
culminating and looking at Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. When it comes to discussing scriptural, biblical truths, there can be no matter that's more important than what we're talking about. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. According to Paul, the, the gospel is of first importance. It's 1 Corinthians 15.3. And so what we're going to try to do today, what I'm going to try to do, and Carl has, has told me he's going he's to clean it up next week. <laughs> so if you're confused, it's okay. Come back. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to focus on the person and the work of Jesus, which, which is the content of all the gospel. It's, it is no fluke that, that false teachers throughout the history of the church have attacked the person of Christ. And, and, and if we err at this point, the rest of what a person believes in, in some practical purposes is inconsequential. You see, all theology, all study of God, all theology is, is in a sense either leading to the person of Jesus or, or is branching out from the person of Christ. In other words, it's either good theology or, or bad. Right? So, so in an effort to set, look at this biblical teaching of the person of Christ, we began to this examination of who the person of Christ is, who the person of Jesus is. And it's our hope that over these Today and, and over the next weeks that we will see that he is one, that he is eternal, and that he is divine. Secondly, we'll see that, that this one person has two natures. And, and finally, we'll focus on the, the three saving, we'll call them offices, that Jesus has assumed. So first of all, one divine person. What do we mean by that? Well, according to Jesus Christ himself, if we do not believe in, the, in his deity, then we're lost. John chapter 8, we see Jesus responding to the religious leaders of the day and to their question of, who is he? In verse 35, and, and Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see his day and was glad. And then he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's John Chapter 8, verse 58. Notice that Jesus does not say, I was or I existed. He says, I am. By, by Jesus using the, both ego, I, and the am I, I am, the I and the I am, he's making this point emphatic. He's, he's, he's nailing it home to us. You see, in the day, Jews who, who spoke Greek would have translated the Hebrew name for God Yahweh, as I am who I am in the Greek. They would have picked this up and, and made the connection that he was taking upon himself the sacred name, the name of God. And their ensuing reaction then is also very telling. In verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. Because Jesus is saying, I am. This God of the universe, this God that your forefathers worship, this God who is 
above and beyond space and time. I am. They, they, wouldn't, they would not have stoned him for, for simply claiming to be older than Abraham. But, but for taking the name of God himself, they, they would have. And Jesus said earlier in the chapter, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's verse 24. And so clearly a rejection of the deity of Jesus Christ is a clear indication that one's sins remain and that a person is lost. You see, I think we live in a, in a unique time. I, I don't know this. I haven't looked at any research, any Pew data. I haven't conducted any, any real anecdotal data myself. But I, I suspect that if we were to, to poll most people, certainly in, in, in this community, I would say most people, most places, most would say something to the effect of, sure, I, I, can, I can believe that, that Jesus existed. Sure. Why not? Maybe he was older than Abraham. Okay, whatever. But he is God. The I am. And unless you believe that I am he, Jesus says, not my word, his, God's words, you will die in your sins. The New Testament also uses the name God for Jesus as well. And, and, and even in the Old Testament, the word God was used for Jesus as the coming Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In the New Testament, there's several passages that refer to Jesus Christ as, as being God. John 1, 1, John 18, 20, Romans 9, 5, Titus 2.13, Hebrews chapter 1, 2 Peter 1, all of these, all of these refer to Jesus as being God. Also, the name Lord or Karios is, is used for Christ. The word Karios is used to, in, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for the name of the Lord 6,814 times. Christ not only assumes the name for God, he is worshipped. One thing that emerges as clear in, old, in the Old Testament is that God is the only acceptable object of worship. Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 6 speak to this, that God is the only acceptable object of worship. The angels know this. They know that only God is to be worshipped. That's alluded to in Revelations chapter 19. Yet what did they do to Jesus? Hebrews 1. They worship him. Next question. Why? Next answer. Because he's God. They worship him. His own disciples worship Jesus. Matthew 28 talks about that. 17. And, and, and in fact, everyone will eventually worship the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2. Jesus not only assumes God's name and, and his worship, but he also demonstrates that he, is, he possesses God's attributes. He shows his omnipotence in the, in the stilling the storm in Matthew 28. He, or excuse me, Matthew 8. He, the changing water into wine, John chapter 2. He, his omniscience in knowing people's thoughts, Mark chapter 2. 
his omniscience and knowing future things. John chapter 6. And even where people who were far off, were, where they were located. John chapter 148. And the disciples exclaimed that Jesus knows all things. He also shows that he's, he is sovereign. Matthew 11 talks about that. And even omnipresent, all present everywhere. Matthew 18, Matthew 28. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, was sent. Luke chapter 4. And then he came to seek out and save the lost. Luke 19. These statements and, and many others would make no sense at all. If Jesus did not exist prior to his own incarnation. Jesus eternally existed in one person. This one who was to be born is from old, from ancient of days, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. He is called the everlasting father, Isaiah 9, 6. The new and the, the Old Testaments. The prophetic and then the new, the old and the new coming together clearly teach that, that the pre-existence of the Messiah, he was before. He was before there was. God never had anything other than plan A, and plan A has always been Jesus. And although as we see, and we will see, he, he added to himself a, a human nature. He exists as one person. There's only one Christ. But there's two distinct natures. And although Jesus Christ is one divine person, he exists in two distinct natures. Just as important as believing that Jesus is divine, that he is God, is believing that Jesus was a real man. And again, I think most people probably could, can buy this, right? That he was a real man. But somehow it's, it's two very distinct things. John makes this clear in 1 John chapter 2, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. By this you know the Spirit of God, what we read earlier. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John had made it clear in his gospel that the eternal word became flesh and made and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, moved into the neighborhood. Eugene Peterson's message, John chapter 1. And by using the word flesh, John means that the word added to himself a fully human nature. In other words, God put on skin and bones. And believing Jesus was, was really a man is, is an important part of, of this, of our profession of faith. It's equally as important as, as understanding and, con, and confessing and believing that he is fully God. Jesus needed to take on a fully human nature. God demanded that sin be punished from the very nature that committed it. And by Jesus being a man and, and standing in our place, by standing in my place, by standing in, in your place, he was able to take our punishment, my punishment, as, as a representative man. The, the mediator also needed to be God, to, to give the sacrifice and infinite value and worth. So, so even there, fully God, fully man, two, two natures, 
Jesus is, as one person was not a mixture of God and man, as though he was some kind of third thing. The, the early church rejected the, the heresy of the monophysites uh, who, who claimed that Jesus was just that, some kind of mixture. They believed that Jesus possessed only one nature and that a mixture of the divine and the human. The, the early church responded in the Chalcedonian Creed, which that Jesus is to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusibly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. To the other extreme, the, the Nestorians claimed that, that there needed to be a clear distinction in the natures, so much that it, if there are two natures, they said there must also be two persons. Well, the church responded that this is, this is going and kind of going into the other ditch a little bit and, and condemned it as heresy as well. And, and the creed states that the natures are distinct, but concurring in one person and one substance, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, God. Two natures. Jesus was God and man. The one eternal Son of God existed after the incarnation, meaning after being come into flesh, and, and two distinct natures. Each nature retaining all its own properties and without necessarily communicating somehow to one another. This is hard stuff to think about. I have to lean forward a little bit and think about this because it's important. Jesus, the one person, got tired according to his human nature. And he never tired according to his divine nature. Jesus developed like an ordinary man. Luke chapter 2 talks about that. Hebrews talks about that. Yet he was immutable. He had limited knowledge, according to Mark 13, and yet he's omniscient. John 18, 4 and 21. Because you see, he is fully man and fully God. He left the earth and went to heaven, Acts chapter 1. And he's omnipresent everywhere, Matthew 18 and Matthew 28. Jesus, as a natural man, has both a body and a soul. I think this union maybe kind of helps us and points us to this sort of analogous of the, the union of the divine and the human natures of one person, Jesus. It's, it is the one person that feels the pain of falling down the stairs because we have a body, right? But it's the same person that feels the pain of of accusation, false accusation, perhaps, according to the soul. Do we understand the difference of pain that I'm talking about? The same person feels both. They are both real pain, but not according to the same substance, the same source. The same is with Jesus. He knew that it, what it was to be ignorant of certain facts, Mark 13. And he knew what it was to know everything. John 21. It was the one person of Jesus who knew these things. One according to his human nature and the other according to his divine nature. This is, if you're like me and you're scratching your head, it is beyond the understanding of man. How can... Or how the eternal Son of God added to himself some, some human nature and, and will forever exist as such is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 
Caveman's Cole has a song and one of the lines I've quoted it a lot and I think it makes sense here the only problem with these mysteries is they're so mysterious what we're talking about is beyond our comprehension to be fair because while Jesus was truly man and truly God we are truly not So three offices, three saving positions. Our Lord Jesus did not become incarnate or put on flesh and bone for its own sake, for his own sake. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. That's the gospel, Matthew 1, 21. And the three offices or, or functions or, or titles or what, however you want to look at it of, of Christ are prophet priest and king. These three offices were, were prefigured. They were pre-talked about as the three major offices among the Old Testament people of God in Israel. So as a prophet, Jesus reveals God to us and, and his will for our, for our salvation. As a, as a priest, he makes a sacrifice for our sin and intercedes to God for us. And as king, he protects us and, and subdues a, us to his rule. Let's take a minute, let's, let's sort of unpack these a little bit. So let's look at prophet. The office of prophet was first filled by Moses. Although many prophets followed Moses, he foretold of a, of a coming special prophet like himself, Deuteronomy chapter 18, who the, the people should look for and listen to. It was, it was only in the coming time of the Messiah that people believed that that they would come into full light and, and have all things revealed to them. That's John 4 talks about that. And this was fulfilled, of course, in the person of Jesus, who was more than a prophet. The prophet spoke God's truth to the people. Jesus Christ was and is that truth. Jesus was even the one speaking through the prophets of old. Again, this is hard to imagine, isn't it? 1 Peter 11 First Peter 1 talks about that. As the only one who fully knows the Father, Jesus, as the Son of God, is uniquely qualified to reveal God to us, to be our prophet. Priest. Unlike the office of prophet, in which the prophet represented God to the people, in the Old Testament office of priest, the priest would represent the people to God. The function of Jesus in his high priestly office could kind of be broken down into two little subcategories, sacrifice and intercession. In the Old Testament, the priest would offer up sacrifices for the sins of the people. The, the high priest once a year, every year, would first make sacrifice for himself, for his household, in the outer courtyard of the tabernacle. Then he would take the blood of the second animal or of the second animal and sprinkle it carefully upon the mercy seat which was the ark's covering and before god was viewed as between and, and above the cherubim which were the statutes on each end of the ark god was pictured as looking down upon the law of god and sinful people it was a picture of judgment but now the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat god is satisfied 
propitiated, it's a fun word to say, which is the word in the Greek that is used to translate mercy seat. All of this prefigured or, or existed before Jesus was born. This is the course of the prefigured Jesus who did not need to make sacrifice for his own sin. Why? Why did, not, did Jesus not have to make sacrifice for his own sin? Because he was sinless. You guys are following. You're doing great. He did not die and have to be replaced by another high priest. He lives forever having an endless life. He, he does not offer the blood of bulls and goats. Right? They are types, but, but Christ is the anti-type. He is the type. Like I said, he's only, the only plan we've ever needed. He's plan A. They all pointed to, to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the just anger of God is satisfied because Jesus' sacrifice takes away our sin. Jesus takes our sins upon himself. He stood in my place at the cross. God. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. See, God took our sins and, and placed them on Jesus at the cross where they are taken from us. And on account of that, we get to stand blameless. The result of that is that we are reconciled back to a holy God. We, me, you, us, who were bound to sin, who, who were enemies of God, hostile toward God, and God being angry with the wicked and, and viewed us as objects of his own wrath, but now by the blood of the cross, his anger is satisfied. We're no longer enemies, but we're reconciled. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. We're his, we're redeemed. To be redeemed is to, is to be bought back. For you were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6. And Jesus said in Mark 10 that, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. I was lost on the slave market with Satan, and sin is the master. Jesus came and redeemed us, redeemed me by this infinite value of his own life. So now we're doubly his. The first time by making us and creating us, and the second time by redeeming us. We're doubly his. As a creator and a redeemer. He bought us not from Satan but from God. God's justice needed to be satisfied. He can't just overlook sin. Justice needed to be satisfied. And Jesus both by his active obedience fully satisfied God on, our, on his behalf. On our behalf. In active obedience, Jesus, as a man, fully keeps the law of God in our place. 
in obedience, he willingly suffers God's just anger against our sin. Prophet, priest, and king. In looking at Jesus as priest, we we focus on his death, but when we look at Christ the king, we place the focus on his resurrection. The proof text. He, after being raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God, which is the place of power and of authority. He is king of kings and lord of lords, Revelation 19. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would rule and reign as king. Genesis talks about this. Samuel talks about this. And when Jesus came, he began preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1. For the king has come. Jesus spoke clearly about himself having a kingdom. For, for, for now it's, it's invisible, but he is ruling in the hearts of those who trust him, who acknowledge who he says he is. But one day, he will come again, and this kingdom that was once invisible will be visible, and at that time, every knee will bow. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. We can discuss a lot of things, and we should. We can represent a lot of different theologies and theological backgrounds in this church. And that's good. We can have different viewpoints from Scripture that are scripturally based on any number of topics. And that's good. But we must believe, regardless of background and different theologies that we may ascribe to, We must believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And we must believe that he existed in two distinct natures, but united indivisibly in one person. We must believe in this God-man, and we must receive him as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. For it is a matter, according to 1 Corinthians 15, of first importance. Amen.